This is your Act One Beginners Call. Act One Beginners. To stick with musical um, phrases, the overture has ended, the curtain is up, all actors are on stage in beginning positions. Yep, some of them are just going into costume. So that is Olivia and I am Gigi. We have created this incredible podcast to ease our theatre withdrawal symptoms. They are quite bad at the moment, I have to say. It is terrible. And I'm telling you, Olivia, if we do not see six on July 17th, I will cry. I was meant to be doing lighting for a musical in like a week's, two weeks time. So that's... I was meant to see Timothy Chalamet for my birthday. Thanks for your sympathy. Don't worry. Don't worry. So I guess this is kind of a, a conversation of sorts. We are not in the same room. People who make podcasts are normally in the same room. They try to be, at least. Um, and we've tried to plan it, but at the same time, I, I'm of the mindset that we shouldn't plan it too hard, because otherwise it loses its natural spark and how we bounce off each other in conversation. In, in the ultimate segue, Olivia, there are, there are many acting pairs, or duos, I should say. Sure. One being one of our favourites, Christian Brawl and Andrew Rannells and Vorsettos. If yeah. you could have any dream role, I, kn- I know you're normally a techie. Let's yeah. just make that clear. I'm the actor here, darling. I- I'm the one that's in blacks backstage or front of stage in the tech booth. Doing lighting from backstage with no view of the stage would be an interesting one. That'd be stressful, wouldn't it? <laughs> stressful when you can see the stage. Can I throw some controversial shade? Oh, go for it. Uh, artistic director of the globe michelle terry fantastic actress yeah she has basically been in every single one of her season's productions she was hamlet in hamlet it's just it it bothers me it bothers me more than it should i think if you were in one or like if you were maybe a big role in one or maybe like a few of the smaller roles that's fine but if you're kind of all the big named characters in every show, then that's kind of getting suspicious. Olivia, why did you take this hi- very highly paid job? Well, I like to put myself in my own shows. Thank you very much. It was like I wasn't getting jobs any other way, so I thought if I run them, then I can put myself in them. <laughs> just, just not- I'm giving myself employment. Yeah, I, and I'm not saying that she is unable to get jobs. Um, I'm just saying that for the purpose of humour. Thank you. Question. If you're an artistic director like and, and acting in something do you get two salaries I, I i can't imagine you would also assume artistic director you would get paid more so I, I don't know though i don't really know what artistic directors do in a sense no but anyway, going back to the the question the yeah, segue yeah, i cool. did it was it was incredibly impeccably done wasn't it oh uh, brilliant absolutely um if you could play any part and opposite anyone, what would you do? Um, well, I think, you know, as we've discussed this quite a bit in our downtime, you know that I have a love for Marvin from Falsettos. Um, I, I do. So I think I would, I mean, although I want to act across from Christian Ball, so that puts me in a weird position of, would he be Wizard? Would I then have to be Wizard? Do you want to be Marvin? Yeah. 
I really like Marvin as a character, um, which is very weird because he's not a nice character. But I tend to not like the nice characters. So, like, Pilot from Jesus Christ Superstar. I like Che from Evita. I kind of like the guys who are a bit dickish on stage. They're the underdogs, though. They are the yeah. underdogs. I'm an underdog supporter, so... But yeah, um, I think I would love to just be in the same room as Patty. Well, I have been in the same room as Patty Lapone in theory. I've been in. We have been in the same room, haven't we? Yeah, but it was quite a large room with a lot of other people in it. Yeah, but but it we she performed to us, Olivia. We we know she performed and I felt to it. us. I felt it in my soul. I would. I don't know. There are so many talented people. I don't know. You know what I would do? I, I would play Amy and Company. And my Paul mm. would be either Jeremy Jordan, because damn, Corey, Corey Cott, Cat because it. damn, or just a little bit of, bit of spicy little interestingness, Neil Patrick Harris, I think it'd be hilarious. Ooh, I do love Neil Patrick Harris. I like him in Assassins. So yeah, that's a good shout, actually. I kind of forget about Neil Patrick Harris. Um, I've seen like clips of him in Hedwig, but I haven't like. Also, I've seen the bit of him in that production of Company that he was Bobby in. But that was a strange production, though. We should just disclaim that these are our opinions and that we have a maybe. right to speak. Yeah, we may be at some points a bit controversial. Oh, that's an idea for a podcast in the future: is controversial uh, theatre opinions. Well. Yes. We'll note that down for another time if there is another of these ever. <laughs> this is a kind of related thing, but rumor patrol. What do you? What is your opinion on celebrities who aren't musical theatre actors or yeah. actors in general? We're in singers being in musicals on particularly Broadway. So I saw actually like a video about people's opinions on theatre recently, and they mentioned this like stunt casting. And they said that if they're in a minor role where it's kind of okay to stunt cast, then it's fine. Because if it helps bring in people that wouldn't otherwise see theatre, then brilliant. If it helps keep people in their jobs for longer, then I'm all for it. However, if you're casting someone who is a main character... Okay, some people who aren't properly theatrically trained are still phenomenal singers and can act. And if they can, if they have the talent and you've auditioned them and they're fine... Go for it. I, I don't have a problem, to be honest. But if you're just doing it because they say they can bring people in, then... Yeah. Yeah, it's like, um sorry, uh, Ogie and Waitress. Yeah. That has gone through yeah. hundreds of people, it seems. Because we saw Neil from The Inbetweeners. Yeah. He was brilliant. And then Joe Sugg was in it. I've heard Joe Sugg wasn't too bad, actually. No, and they were obviously trying to bring in a certain crowd, and they needed to. Oogie is a character where that does work for, though, because quite, he's quite an eccentric character. He's not in too much. His songs aren't particularly like groundbreaking in terms of um, technique. They're much more kind of funny and normal. I don't know how to describe it. You're the musical, technical one, but... <laughs> yeah, the, the vocal range is limited. It's not like you're singing Defying Gravity when you're in that role, so... Oh, but then in the same show, Ashley Roberts was Dawn. And she yeah. was... But then it's kind of, that's a kind of another role, because um, Colleen uh, Ballinger 
was in it. She's a trained soprano. Yeah, and lots Classically of people really soprano. enjoyed her as it. So, but. Olivia, I am now going to find a track on a playlist. Wow, groundbreaking. This is our randomised musical of the episode. Randomised musical of the episode! Um, thank you for that. That was brilliant. Um, and it's basically, we decided that we both have quite large musical theatre playlists and we were going to shuffle it and fight, see what song comes up and have a little discuss about the song, maybe the actors playing it, the recording, if we have any strong opinions on it. So, yes. I'm going to do a shuffly shuffle. Shuffly shuffle. Ah! It is Loud from Matilda. So I have a particular thing with Loud because one of my um, societies at university is a has a show choir aspect to it called Spotlights. And Spotlights basically do... They would have been going to Fringe this year, Rip, Rip Fringe. But... What they do is they do shows where they have a, basically a compilation of musical theatre songs and they have very intense choreography to it, like more intense than you would ever find in a normal <laughs> musical on stage. Um, and they sing, and Loud was one of the songs at our most recent shows. And in when in the first iteration in rehearsals, it was originally in the first act and it literally, it was like five songs in and literally at the end of the song, it had killed everyone in the cast and they could barely carry on with the rest of the set. So we moved it to the second act and it worked perfectly, but it was a brilliant one. So I have, I think we did purple and yellow lighting for it. That's how I remember it. So I remember things in lighting states. <laughs> well, I, I love Loud because I was at Pineapple Dance Studios and we did this as an audition piece for a choreographer or something. And all I remember is being dizzy at the end of it. And I, there, was, there was a lot of salsa. And I danced with a random boy that I had no idea who he was. Yeah. And he was brilliant. And you have to keep up with someone like that. Mm. But Louds, it's a lot longer than you think it is when you originally think of it you think oh okay I know the song but when you kind of have to perform to it or watch it be performed you realize how long it actually and it just keeps on going and it keeps on at the same tempo it doesn't slow down it doesn't really stop it just keeps going well let's talk about Matilda as a show yeah because I think I have to say it's one of the shows that I've probably enjoyed the most seeing it see I have never seen it live haven't you no but I have seen it in other ways other ways, such as ways. online trailers, online trailers. Oh yeah. Oh, no, a slime tutorials. Yeah. Um, but I've watched, I've watched it multiple times in my other ways. So, I would love to see it live in London. And I think when I go back, when once everything blows over, I think I do want to try and see it. I'm just jealous of the kids. Yeah. They're also talented. And like, I don't know how they dance on those tables. Because yeah, I was in Spring really... Awakening, I was in Spring <laughs> Awakening, and I fell through a table during a show. Um, I had weakened the table so much of my colossal mass that I, I fell I a, through it. I have a subtle brag. I, I, if she won't ever listen to this, um, but it'd be hilarious if she did. One of the girls um, at my uni who actually does spotlights was one of the original Matildas um, from the Stratford upon Avon 
original cast and she is actually in the cast recording she sings i think it's naughty so there you go um but i really i do like matilda and it's one of those musicals where i actually i don't like all of the songs but most of them are absolute bops they are bops revolting children is like as soon as it came out every single summer school or like kids youth group performed yeah Oh no! I my, I think my favorite is the school song. I feel like that's my. It's so clever. Yeah, and on stage as well, how they stage it is just it adds to it even more. So, so definitely check out Matilda if you haven't seen Matilda. We're not sponsored by Matilda, but <laughs> it'd, it'd be nice. Shall I do a quick shuffle? Yeah, do do a shuffle. Oh oh no! It's not even a proper song. <laughs> what is it? It's the um, intro to the intro reprise to Wait For Me, which I actually don't know what that sounds like. The reprise to Wait For Me from Hades Town. Just go yeah. again. I, I mean, every single Hades Town is the only musical where every single track, however short it is, I think is stunning. Yeah. Um, let's go for another one. Uh, okay, so we have... We have my friend the dictionary from the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee. Right, so. Great show. Um, and I love you, you have a very special connection to that show. I do. So it was the very first show I have ever lighting designed. It was the very first show I did at university. Um, I was like the only tech person on the show for the, pretty much the whole process until like the show days. And... I think it went very well, personally. I mean, no one's told me it was bad, but I'm also worried that they're not telling me because they don't want to tell me. Sure, you did brilliantly. It did. It, I, I think for the rig I had, for the limited lights I had, it worked out as well as it could have. Um, I mean, the show almost derailed the last night, but that's probably a story for another day when we do, like, mishaps. Oh, mishaps. That, that, I, could, I could talk for a whole episode about any mishap. <laughs> Actually, one quite entertaining one, which I'll say now. We did a gala version of Wicked. Okay. And I'm sure there are theatre people listening to this, that upstage, it's called upstage because a rake went from downstage, wow, to upstage. Yeah, that's old theatres. So I was in, this, this was a, oh, what was, what was the song? Like One Short Day or something in like Act Two. We were all wearing these huge hoop dresses with like petticoats and massive, literally hula hoops in the hem. I walk on to sing an operatic high note because that's what I love to do in shows. And I then fall over this cable, which some tech person, I fell over a cable that hadn't been gaffered down. Um, And because this particular stage still had a rake, I rolled down the stage into the orchestra pit into a tuba. I, well, I'm impressed that the tuba was big enough to catch you. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, I love that story. I remember you telling me that before. That's great. Yeah, it's a memory that I'll never forget, you know? Exactly. So what, what's your favourite memory from a musical? What's your, what's your first memory from a musical that you've seen, Olivia? Uh, oh my gosh. Okay, so... I have grown up with Les Mis in my life since basically before I even knew what a musical was. 
my mum's car when I was younger had three CDs in it. it. One was the Beatles number one Red album. The other was the Take That Ultimate Collection. And the third was the Les Mis soundtrack or cast recording, I should say. And so that's what I grew up on. And I loved Les Mis. I would, when I wanted to listen to it, I'd ask my mum if she could put the French people on. And that's what I listened to. Probably my mum's favourite musical. So she's seen it loads. And she took it. We went as a family to see it when I was like eight, maybe seven or eight, around that age. And I remember being in the theatre where it was before, which I think is where Harry Potter and the Cursed Child is now. Yeah. But basically, whilst I was there, I remember... I don't remember anything of the show apart from the barricade scene. And I remember thinking... You're in the barricade, listen to this! (laughs) And I just suddenly go, they have guns. And I just had my head in my mum's lap for the entire barricade scene because I absolutely hated it. It was too noisy for me. I hated the flashes, the guns. I just hated it. And in my head, all I kept thinking was they're using real guns on stage. But I knew that they weren't the characters. I knew they were actors playing the parts. So I was thinking they're using real guns on stage, actually killing the actors on stage. That means each show they perform, they have to replace those actors that have died. So they have to keep hiring new people to be in the musical. However, how do they keep hiring these people if they know that they have like a 50% chance of dying on stage in their first show? This just seems very irresponsible and not a way to continue running a musical. Well, it's great you were so thinking about this very thoroughly, right? And then the scene ended and I just continued to watch the musical as if nothing had happened. But I have a vivid memory of that being my thought process and what I thought. So I, I probably should see a psychiatrist, to be honest, but that's my kind of one musical memory. My earliest musical memory was seeing Joseph the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, Jason Donovan, I think, he was in it, or associated with it. There was something with Jason Donovan. Or was it Donny Osmond, not Jason Donovan? I guess Donny Osmond was the pharaoh? Uh, I can't remember for the life of me, but all I remember is Donny Osmond and my mum just being in love with him. (laughs) Um, And Joseph, apparently, I was about four, and when Potiphar's wife came on, I said to my mum, I want to be like her. <laughs> and my mum apparently said to me, what a tart. Uh, and I was like, oh, probably, because I'm four and I don't know. So that's my earliest moment. And then a year later, I was in Joseph. I, I was I... a la 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 A key part of the musical. Yes. I also have a uh, memory connected to, to Joseph. Um, there was it's a lot of people's first musicals as well. Yeah, I saw it when I was. I must have been quite young actually, because this was when I was in living um, before I moved up here. So this was before I was eight years old. So it may have. I may have even seen it before Les Mis. Although in my head, I saw Les Mis before that. But there was that TV show where they found the next Joseph. I can't remember what it's called. It's probably like Any Dream Will Do or something like that. Yeah, it was. Um, and Lee Mead won it. I loved the show. I watched it avidly with my mum. And when Lee Mead won it, really wanted to go see Joseph. My mum's work was running like an excursion. Like you could buy tickets um, at like a discounted price, catch a coach and go see it in London. So my mum got tickets for me and her. And this was like months in advance. So excited. I don't know how much long before the trip it was, but my mum just sat me down in the dining room and said, 
okay, so you know how we're going to see Joseph? And I was like, sure. And then she was like, so I know you wanted to go see Lee Mead in it. Like, that was why we wanted to go. And she goes, um, unfortunately, Lee Mead isn't going to be performing on that day. What? It's going to be like the runner up. The, um, oh, what's his name? I think his name? Yeah. He was the like understudy or the swing or whatever and was going to be performing. And I just burst into tears. I was like, no, I want Lee Mead. I am very upset with this. I cried. And I was then, after that, I was, like, really disheartened to go see it. And then we went, and I think I was in, like, the stalls or something. I don't really have much recollection of it, apart from it starts, and, like, there's dry ice rolling out and stuff, and I don't really remember how the stage show starts, but I think it's... It probably started before that, but in my head it started at dry ice rolling down the stage, and then suddenly, down from, like, a lift, this figure just comes down on a descending platform... And then I just look at him and goes, he looks really like Lee Mead. And I was just like, but Lee Mead shouldn't be here, so it can't be Lee Mead. Your mum tricked you. Well, yeah, it was Lee Mead. And, like, my mum, I don't, she, I mean, to be honest, I was, like, really young, so my mum may have, like, realised and not told me or anything. But my mum seemed shocked in my memory, so that's how I saw Lee Mead as Joseph, despite being told I wasn't, so, yeah. Wow, there we go. What a musical memory that is. So, going on to our earliest musical memory, our latest musical memory is probably Prince of Egypt, which we saw together. God, yeah, I keep forgetting we went and saw that, actually. Yeah, because we saw six before that, which we both loved. And then okay. Prince of Egypt is the latest thing we've seen. I kind of cajoled you into going seeing it to see it because it was part of the Today Ticks like Black Friday deal at Christmas. And we got two tickets for £30 each instead of what probably would have been about £80 each. So... I love the movie and I wanted to see it. And so I just told Gigi that she was coming with me, whether she wanted to or not. Yeah, and you missed a university lecture for it as well. Kind of. I mean, let's be real. This year at university hasn't really counted because of the strike. No, of course. (laughs) It was controversial because in the weeks leading up to it, there were so many mixed reviews Mm. that we were both like, and I'm sure people listening had this, where we didn't know whether we should still go because it made kind of it made us put a downer on it we were like oh we haven't seen each other in ages because i i'm a year younger than olivia so i was in i was having a gap year and we were thinking it was just gonna ruin our day but then we both went with kind of with like lowered expectations but an open mind yeah and then loved it i mean people are saying how the staging yeah there's a lot of criticisms in like the circles we kind of see and hear about saying it was too simplistic for a lot of people's perspective and uh, I think a lot obviously the pre they had a really long preview period and I think a lot changed during that preview period them. like I think songs were cut costumes were changed I think lots were done but we saw it towards the end of the preview period so I think we got like the better end of the stick yeah apart from the opening song because that's just going to be it was one of the original songs so it was going to be great the first few songs took me a while to warm up to. I was kind of thinking, mm, I know what you mean. Is this going to be okay? But then by like halfway through the first act, with all like the visuals of like the projections, the lighting, the staging, all the different physical theatre aspects of it, I just even if you don't think it's as good as you were hoping, it's still a really good it's just an amazing cast. Like you can't fault the cast at all. Oh, the cast is fantastic. But I think people go to the West End with an expectation for a huge set, a thousand Q lighting. But that isn't what the West End should be, is it? Because no. if the West End is meant to be for everyone, then it needs to show kind of more what class more fringe theatre. 
And obviously the Prince of Egypt is a massive ensemble piece. Yeah. And they went for, right, we're going to use our ensemble. And they probably cut costs doing so. Mm. They, didn't, they didn't need a big set or anything like that. I think because people are expecting it because they think, how are they going to part the Red Sea? There must be some incredible ocean that comes onto the stage. I think there was a massive expectation for that. Mm. So, you know, like when we saw Company, they had the big neon boxes. Oh, yeah. And that was simplistic in another way because there wasn't, mu- there wasn't much set for that. Think about it. It was just very detailed what they had. Yeah. No, I, I think also because The Prince of Egypt's in a massive theatre and it's got quite a large cast because it's one of those shows that um, the ensemble parts, it needs a large ensemble because it's, it's meant to be representing these like thousands of people. So they need a large amount. And obviously, when you then have such intricate costuming and from what they do have, like, as well with the tech, like, they had so much projections and stuff, that racks up costs. So then to add on, like, really expensive set pieces, and it change- the set changes a lot. So I think they used projections, and what set they did have very effectively. You don't see much projection now. I mean, it, it's becoming more mainstream with Les Mis mm. going projected. Yeah. Um, you rarely see projection mapping like that. Oh my god, can I just say as a um, shout out to anyone doing Amdram theatre, projections are so hard. Don't take the decision lightly to use projections, because if you don't have the proper training, the equipment for it, it's just such a pain to get it looking good and right. Oh, it is. Um, Painstaking. I've spent many an hour just looking at grids, trying to line them up precisely on stage. It's it's a fun time. I mean, I was watching, I had a, another bout of insomnia a week or so ago, and I had from Christmas time a recording of the live recording of An American in Paris when that was on stage, and I decided to finally watch it. I saw the film ages ago, but I don't remember anything about it apart from like a dream dance sequence where Gene Kelly goes a bit wild in a fountain in France. Hang on, you think he's singing in the rain? No, Singing in the Rain definitely doesn't have that. I know what Singing in the Rain includes. They, what I was going to, um, before I decided to have a mini rant about could I remember American in Paris, the staging, I really loved it, actually. I kind of wish we had seen it when it was in London. It was just a really beautiful show, actually. Definitely not what I would normally go see, but it was really good. And all the, obviously all the dancing was amazing because they hired actual ballet dancers. But... They used a lot of projections or even maybe LED screens. I don't think they were LED screens, but a lot of projections. So that was yeah. very clever. Going on to stuff that we've been watching. Uh, because with the quarantine, there's been a lot of production streamed online. Uh, mm. Tonight even, so we're recording this on Thursday, 23rd of April. Tonight yeah. there's been 12th night on the National. And tomorrow there is Love of the Dies. Olivia knows my opinions on Love Never Dies and just Andrew and Weber in general. I think that'd be another I, I, figure, I figured this would be the platform I air my concerns about Andrew Lloyd Webber. I'm very I think... concerned. I mean, I mean I'll, I'll watch Love Never Dies as much as I can and then that could be a segue, couldn't it, to our next so thing of... I watched, they live-streamed Phantom of the Opera last week and I've never seen it. I've never listened to it apart from like the classic songs that you hear all the time. And, like, I've kind of been interested, and I still want to go see it live, but the recording did not do anything for me. I really was just sat there the entire time thinking, is this it? For me, when I think of Andrew Lloyd Webber, I think of Jesus Christ Superstar, Avita, like, those kind of really kind of gritty takes of 
characters we know. Yeah, it's very different. Even with Joseph, like the music is so, I mean, Joseph is kind of like, he takes like a piece, each song's kind of a bit of each genre. With Jesus Christ Superstar, you've got like the electric gu- guitar riffs and stuff. Evita, it's those kind of big protest song-esque and then Phantom was just like, uh, may- and like Gigi said, she was like, maybe I just don't like opera. So it's, but it just felt like every song was very similar. I didn't really know what was happening. The plot of what plot there was didn't seem to really be doing much apart from people being worried. Interesting that you say, as someone who's not a musician, that the music sounds the same. Because yeah. if you look at the score, which I have done numerous times, unfortunately, it literally, so... Du, 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 du. I think it's all I not all I ask of you. Um, music of the no, uh, not music of the night, I angel of the night. Was... It starts off. Du, 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 du. It doesn't modulate. It goes nowhere. And normally, musically, like there's a semitone or a tone modulation that gets you to the end. That's just he might be breaking convention. For me, it doesn't work because otherwise, there's no passage for the characters. There's no. There's no narrative it just feels like because subliminally it's like well the, the music goes nowhere then therefore the characters don't go any, anywhere yeah. it just felt like a lot of people moving from room to room having the same argument in different rooms if anyone calls it the greatest love story of all time i'm gonna have a bone to pick with you i believe the phantom is an abusive person who gaslights a young girl basically kills two people in front of her and then threatens to kill people she loves if she doesn't go along with him. And then because he's got a bad and tragic backstory where he's been forgotten because he just doesn't have a regular face. He's redeemed. He's redeemed in lots of people's eyes. And I'm just like, uh, no, <laughs> that's not how it works. No, and then, definitely not. Because with Love Never Dies, I'm kind of intrigued to watch it. I, But I was reading somewhere about the plot to it and apparently the child that... Christine and Raul have together 10 years later is actually the Phantom's child because she goes and has a night with the Phantom like right before she's about to marry Raul and I'm just so you're insinuating this person who's just been abused by this guy goes and has sex with him I don't know why you'd write a sequel like there's very few things where a sequel has been better or even matched Mm. the original Paddington 2 matched the original can you name any other musical sequel Apart from a very Potter musical where they were doing it for because they because it's a parody, but I'm like, I just don't understand. Oh, I get. Well, does falsetto March of the Falsettos count as a sequel? Well, it was just. Cont- it, I don't think so because now it's men made into a whole show. You can't yeah. put Phantom and Love of the Night together. No, that'd be awful. <laughs> Actually, it may pick up the pace of the plot. It might. Actually, that's a really good idea. Let's do that. Yeah. Phantom of the Dies. I quite like that. But speaking of falsettos, something that I don't think you've listened to, Olivia, and I very much recommend to everyone out there, mm-hmm. is another William Finn called A New Brain. Yes, I saw this came up on your Instagram today. Yeah, and on I my thought... Playbill 30-day challenge. And I thought, oh my gosh, I still haven't listened to that, despite wanting to for ages. So I'm going, I have a playlist on Spotify dedicated to new musicals that I'm trying to listen to. And I'm going to go and add that to it so I can actually have a little listen. Jonathan Groff, who, well, I think the world loves, to be honest. He Mm. played the lead in the New York cast recording. And like, it's basically a grittier version of falsettos. Okay. In that there is a gay man who, spoiler alert, 
Chick Turnoff now dies. Yeah. Or at least there is a storyline surrounding his death. But I, I just prefer the score in general because mm. I, I, th- I think falsetto is very good if you're, you're classically trained, if you mm. like a classical sound. And I do love falsettos. But A New Brain just seems a bit more coming from a... He's writing from a place that's more natural. Or there's okay. a connection there. Which is quite nice. I think you can actually tell it. Like, Dave Malloy... Well, Olivia knows I love Dave Malloy. Every single song, there's just for me, there's just a purpose of why he's writing it. Mm. Like he doesn't write a song where you think, oh, that doesn't need to be there. Every single thing advances the plot. Like Hamilton, you yeah, can't cut like, a song from Hamilton, really. Yeah, that's like if you get the kind of big coffee book table, um, coffee table book, I should say, of the Hamilton process. Lynn talks in it about having to cut other songs because he realised that they don't progress the plot. They may be really good, really fun and interesting, but if they don't progress the plot, they just didn't have a point in the musical, so he cut them. Which I think is what a lot of musicals, especially a lot of new musicals today, don't do, is cut the fat as harshly as other people do. So, Because I think what they do is they need to add another song, so they just add it add a very fluffy not very yeah not not a needed one because when i think um i'm thinking of like mean girls there are a couple songs in that which are still fun and enjoyable but i just don't think help entirely like i'm thinking stop it kind of advances the plot but very little like you didn't need that whole song to do it yeah yeah it's it's very true and also in a way slightly controversial but heather's yeah I I don't like what well, we saw at the other palace. We saw Heather's, mm. um, and we saw like two shows before they changed. They added a song. Yeah. So we saw the new Heather Duke, but not the new Veronica song. Yeah. I and, and we saw the new Curtain Ram song because they cut Blue. Yeah. I remember liking Your Welcome in performance, mm. but not. I don't listening back to it. I go kind of why. But then I, I don't like your welcome. I was really thrown by your welcome in the show because when Veronica just started rapping, we were so close to the stage that I made like direct eye contact with Carrie Hope Fletcher and she started rapping and I was just like, whoa, whoa, we are not doing a Hamilton ro- moment right now. What are you doing? Because um, they didn't really have rap into the extent that we do now in the 80s. And if it was, it was more for um, like black communities. So like to have this kind of privileged white girl rap at me, I was just like, what? Mm. Um, and it, it was I, like a genre flip, wasn't it? Yeah, it like, and that's the thing. It didn't really fit with the rest of the musical. Blue fit with the other styles. Um, and whilst I get their issues with Blue, because I do understand it, I just think Your Welcome wasn't 100% as good. And I think that's the issue. Because Blue is... It does have its issues, but it's just such a fun, beloved song. But I do like the Heather Duke song. I quite... It has, like, some of the bits of, like, the blue reprise from the Off-Broadway song put in. So it's kind of like... An homage to blue. Yeah, and I also like how it's showing how Heather Duke has finally had enough of being in the shadow of um, Heather Chandler because it's that thing of... Oh, what's it called? Um... I can't remember what it's called now. Um, I could probably find it. Because in the musical, she's constantly being told to shut up and go away. Where is it? Um, uh, Never Shut Up Again. That's the song. And I think it's really good because it kind of calls back to how she's always being told by Heather Chandler to shut up, to never speak. 
but I just don't think it hits in the way that I wanted it to. I really liked what they were doing with it, but it just wasn't the impact that I wanted it to be. For me, it sounds too similar to Shine a Light, mm. or it's too similar a vibe, and particularly when you've had, for any musical actually, when you have so many songs with the same tempo or... yeah. Like, some things that sound so similar it's kind of, kind of like in Prince of Egypt act mm-hmm. two it blends into one yeah. apart from um, uh, what's the miracle song it just and because you know what I noticed with Prince of Egypt just going back to Prince of Egypt is you know in Aladdin there's one jump like there's a cute little fast song at the beginning that is literally what the second song in Prince of Egypt was yeah. It was introducing these two characters running, causing havoc in the temple. It was yeah. literally the beginning of Aladdin. I know that's yeah. the beginning of the film, but... Stephen Schwartz has written with Alan Menken before, so he may kind of be a very similar process with that then. Yeah. What's your opinion of the new um, Veronica song in Heathers then? I just think it's a good song, but it's just unnecessary. You don't need another Veronica song. Maybe, what yeah. I would have liked is a Marth song or another Curtain Ram song. Yeah. Like, give, it, give it to a character who needs another song. For me, this is probably controversial to a lot of opinion, people, but I personally don't really like Kindergarten Boyfriend. I enjoy it in the show. I find it enjoyable in the show, but I skip it all the time when I listen to it. It's just a song I've never really enjoyed and I never will enjoy, I don't think. I like Heather McNamara's song Lifeboat. That's one of my favourite songs in the show, despite how short it is. But I think maybe she could have had some character progression before that, because before that point, you just see her go from bitchy to then suddenly having a breakdown where you forgive her, and there's, like, no progression you really see in between. So I think, if anything, she could have had a role either in the song that replaced Blue or just something else, because she just kind of does a 180, and you have to kind of accept that. I think the, the, the I Say No, it's it's a very Carrie Hope Fletcher song in that mm-hmm. I, I, I was actually slightly disappointed at her, Veronica, because, I mean, she was fantastic. Yeah. But when you heard Barrett, Wilbert Weed, in the off-Broadway recording, hitting those high notes, actually, if you've got the right technique on, they're hard to keep doing, which is yeah. why she's lost part of her voice. She's been, she's been quite open. But they're not that hard to get if you put it in the right, do it in the right placement. That, that's slightly technical, isn't it? Technical singing I, here. I quite like Carrie's um, character as Veronica. I think she brought a bit more guilt to it. Yeah, she wasn't just shouting. Yeah. Because the, what I like the whole of her, but it just felt, I say no, just seems like it's in the same vocal range. There's no kind of... Yeah. I think I enjoy listening to it. And if I saw it in the show, I would enjoy it, but it wasn't necessary. No. Um, JD needs another song. That's what needs yeah. to happen. Uh, Jamie Moscato is a topic in itself. He is <laughs> one of the best, best West End musical theatre male singers. Mm. Just because of... I think he's not got one of the strongest voices. Yeah. Like, Halchin, as I say, Rob Halchin in Light in the Piazza is stunning. And he's been in Les Mis. He's, he's got a very musical theatre voice. Whereas Jamie Moscato, like, when you listen to Meant to Be Yours on the recording, a lot yeah. of cast recordings are meant to sound kind of perfect and there's there's not much emotion behind it which is what I found with the West End Heather's recording apart from meant to be yours mm. where this man was just ripping Veronica one yeah there was no, no shame in saying I'm not gonna have the perfect vocal I'm just gonna act the hell out of it and when you're watching the show like 
when we saw Neil from the Inbetweeners as Ogie, he didn't have the strongest voice, but he acted so well that we didn't care. Whereas yeah. for me, I know you were different on this. When, when we saw Bianca Del Rio in Everybody's Talking About Jamie as yeah. Loco Chanel, I just could not the fact that he was out of tune and the acting wasn't quite there. No, I think um, obviously because you've got the experience as like a singer, performer and musician, you know the techniques. Whereas I come in with a very lay opinion of muse of like technique. I If it sounds good, it sounds good. If it doesn't, I may notice it. I've started to notice it a bit more coming from um, an area where I'm trying to get more into sound design for shows. So I've kind of started listening to it. But it's more of like if the overall balance is off not their technique so I personally yeah didn't have an issue with but then again I think Hugo is a character a bit like how we were talking earlier where you can I say that you can stunt cast it but the legend of Loco Chanel is such a strong song that has such a strong atmosphere to it that propels the story that if you don't do it well it can completely but then I, my issue in that performance actually wasn't with Bianca Del Rio. I actually, I know this is also probably controversial. I didn't particularly like Leighton Williams as Jamie. He's incredibly talented and he is, I, I enjoyed it. I did enjoy him. But his voice singing, I did not like. It just felt too breathy to me. And I just didn't enjoy it. That's obviously my opinion. I know he's amazing. Loads of people love him. And I liked his characterization of Jamie. He wasn't doing exactly the same thing that John McRae did, which is good because it's quite hard because John McRae originated it. He was it for so long. He's lived and breathed it. Yeah, and he even looks like the original Jamie. So it's kind of that hard thing. But I think he did. So I think Leighton did really well in kind of making it his own. But I, his voice, I just did not enjoy. And um, I actually want to go see it with the... I can't remember who they cast. I think they cast... like No, Thomas. Oh, and he's like straight out of school or something. Um, but I, I want to go see him and see what it's like. Yeah, I was more kind of thinking about Jamie in that performance, in that show. Yeah, I didn't like him in certain songs, but when he had to be strong and belt yeah. things, he, he did. But what I, I, I sympathise with him because he's such a high-profile young performer. Oh, yeah. Because, well, I was at Italia Conti with him. He was a few years above me. He, he was, like, top dog. Mm-mm. He truly was top dog. And it oh, was, oh, and for a re- like, he is talented. Bloody hell, yeah. He is, but he, he was just... He was a mean girl, if that makes sense. He wasn't oh, mean, okay. but he, was, he had the status. Yeah, yeah. And so I kind of, I knew, knew him in a way that other people didn't who were criticising him. He takes criticism. He used to take it very much to heart. To heart. Yeah. And so, so I did a workshop musical for the National Youth Th- Music Theatre. And I originated a role in, in kind of a premiere rehearsal of it. And then a girl took over from me and because she was a stronger singer than, a much more stronger singer than me. But she, her acting wasn't there. Mm. so she was getting hammered oh, really? spot. And I, I remember her calling me going I can't do it because people are always going to criticise you and I think you have to be tough in the industry even if you are on the tech side of things that people will say things about you and they don't even know you like they have oh, yeah. a right to judge you which I don't think you have in any other industry 
like you could like go to your GP and be like, oh, I don't like my GP, but you don't do anything about it, do you? Yeah, it's kind of that thing with online personalities. Like people, just because you're prominent and you're putting yourself out there, they think they have the right... Things that are opinions are hard because you can go see a show and absolutely hate it, but that doesn't mean that the cast were bad. That could be a whole myriad of things. And so it's that really hard place where you can't often control people's reactions to you apart from just doing your best so yeah, yeah exactly like well we we both love bear a pop opera which yeah, is probably a top, a top recommendation because hmm? i have not listened to it i have not listened to it so don't speak for the two of us <laughs> oh fair enough that's on my new musical playlist <laughs> but, but the stuff you've listened to yeah the stuff you've heard you like it was on in the vaults in london yeah and i did that's, that's a uk it. premiere uh my friend who lives in london very luckily went to go and see it and he loved the performances but the staging just was so ridiculous and bad and it's just such a shame because i don't even remember why i brought this up apart from the fact that oh i remember uh, something can be so hyped up because it's got such a well bear's got such a cult following that you just kind of don't know why you, you, you want to like it but you can't and that's why i try and actually um ingest more criticism than positivity when i go see a show it sounds kind of weird but i'm really worried whenever i go see a show that i won't like it as much as other people seem to have made it out to be and that those expectations will kind of just set a bar that i can't reach when watching it so with the prince of egypt whilst it was kind of worrying that we had spent money on something that not many people liked because i went in with such a low bar for it that when I was actually genuinely impressed by things, I was so impressed by them. I was like, oh my gosh, wow. That might even, on that thought, be a nice place to end our podcast because this is very, very long. So, oh, but hour, thank wow. you. Thank yeah. you very much for tuning in. And you never know, we might properly introduce ourselves in the next one. So thank you for listening to At One Beginner's Call, our yeah. new podcast with me, Gigi Downey. And me, Olivia Seedler. Thank you, and we're off air.